Turn in your Bibles this evening to Romans chapter 15, if you would. Romans chapter 15, we'll be reading verses 14 through 21 tonight. Romans 15, beginning in verse 14, the Apostle Paul writes, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but, as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Amen. Thus ends the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to its reading and its preaching. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Father and our God, uh, we do come to you tonight confessing that we, even with your word open before us, are helpless unless you attend it by your Holy Spirit. So we pray now that you would send your spirit to show us your truth out of your word and to bear fruit in our lives. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. With the exception of a select few locals who have probably grown up in Charlotte their entire lives, for most of us, at one point or another, Charlotte was a big new city that you had moved to. Personally, when I moved here in the fall of 2019, it was by far the largest place I had ever lived and a little intimidating. When you move to a new big city, uh, one of the big problems you have to encounter is, well, how do I get around? How do I find my way around? If someone had you over to their home and you were new to the area and they gave you their address, maybe you got excited, oh, someone who lives here is finally having me over. But if all somebody gives you and a new place is their address, that's not very useful information. In, in fact, it's pretty useless. They could give you their address. They could tell you all about their home. They could show you a picture of their home. They could tell you all about the neighborhood and everything in the surrounding area. But unless they actually give you directions, you're not going to be able to get to your destination. In the Christian world today, I think in general, there's much agreement on what the destination is. We want, as a church as a whole, to see the gospel witness effectively going into our workplaces, our neighborhoods, and out into the nations, and people coming to faith in Christ and bearing fruit, keeping uh, with good works and faith in Jesus Christ. But there's much less agreement on how we actually get to that destination. And the temptation that Christians of all ages have had to face is the temptation to get our directions from the world, 
from our own imaginations, from pure human ingenuity. There's a temptation to say that, well, we have this destination in mind and we know what we want to see, and now it's up to us to figure out how to get there. So we turn to the world and we say, well, maybe if we adapt some uh, corporate business strategies and bring those into the church, and that'll be the answer. Or maybe if the world just likes us, and that's how we get the gospel out there. Or maybe if we just look to all these other ways of doing things that the world has, then we'll get the gospel to the nations. But what we find in Romans chapter 15 is that God doesn't just give us the destination. He also gives us the directions on how to get there, on how the gospel is to go forth and bear fruit in the lives of people. Paul, in Romans chapter 15, verse 14, begins the conclusion of this letter. Verse 13 was the last verse of what you could properly call the body of the letter of Romans, the exposition that Paul gives us on what the gospel is and what the implications of the gospel ought to be for our lives as the people of God. But he doesn't just give a bare-bones explanation of the gospel. He frames it in terms of his own apostolic preaching ministry. The Apostle Paul, in the very opening of this letter, way, way back in chapter 1, noted before he began expositing the gospel to the Roman church, his desire to come see the Romans, to be with the Romans, to preach among the Romans. And now what we see here is that the Apostle concludes his exposition of the gospel by, again, giving in more detail what his calling is as an Apostle. And that's not an accident. Paul is showing us that he's not just telling us what the gospel is, but how the gospel goes forth. Paul's mission is also our mission. And what we see about Paul's mission in this text tonight is that he was God's chosen means of bringing the gospel to the Gentiles by his missionary activity. We'll see this under three headings tonight. First of all, is who brings the gospel to the Gentiles. Second of all, is how the gospel is brought to the Gentiles. And then lastly, why the gospel is brought to the Gentiles. Now again, we're seeing here, first of all, who brings the gospel to the Gentiles under this first point. And to understand this, we need to backtrack just a little bit and and think about what we talked about last week. Verses 8 through 13, the Apostle Paul is not starting from scratch as an apostle, as a missionary out into the Gentile nations. What Paul is doing is that in verses 8 through 13, he's stacking Old Testament quote on Old Testament quote. And what we saw last week from Pastor Ben is that what Paul actually does in verses 8 through 13 of chapter 15 is hit on quotes from every single part of the Old Testament, the three traditional parts of the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, and the writings. And he pulls a quote from every single one about the predicted coming inclusion of the Gentiles being engrafted into the people of God. And he caps it off with a quote from a prophet who probably goes farther than any other prophet in expounding this point, the prophet Isaiah, when he says in Romans 15, verse 12, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. And to cap off all of this long uh, 
uh, history of the prediction of the incoming of the Gentiles into the people of God, we reach verse 21, where again he quotes the prophet Isaiah saying, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. In other words, the Gentiles, the people who had never heard of Jesus Christ and his gospel, they will hear Christ. They will come to know Christ. They will no longer be those who have no inkling of the truth of God and his word and his gospel. No, they will, just like the Jewish people, come to know Jesus Christ and hear the gospel of the Son of God. Now, in a moment, we'll talk about Paul's particular place and detail and what this mission to the Gentiles is. But the point here that we need to make is simply this, that Paul is operating according to a divine plan. This isn't a human plan. It's a divine plan. Paul didn't just come up with his Gentile mission on his own. It's not as if Paul showed up in Jerusalem and found Peter and the other apostles and they got together and said, wow, we've got this really good church thing going here, this really good Christianity thing, and oh, well, we're concentrated in Jerusalem, and but you know what? We really should expand our brand. Let's go to the Gentiles. Let's try to expand this whole church thing that's going on. That's a really good strategy. Why don't we do that? That's not what's happening. This isn't a human plan. What the apostles understand is that they are part of a divine plan that God has set up on how he is going to send his gospel to the nations. And Paul is God's chosen means of carrying out that divine plan. The way this plan is fulfilled is particularly through Jesus Christ. This is a point that Paul emphasizes over and over and over again in this passage. Look again at verse 19. He says that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Verse 16, Paul is a minister of Christ Jesus. Verse 17, in Christ, that is in union with Christ, out of the power of Christ, he has reason to be proud of his work. Verse 20, those who hear the gospel and respond in faith, how do they respond? They respond by calling on the name of Christ. Why the Christ-centeredness? Because Jesus Christ is himself the ultimate fulfillment of this divine plan. He is the one that the entire Old Testament has been pointing to up to this point. He is the one who has accomplished the work of the gospel of God, redeeming sinners. He is the one who himself is really, truly behind the scenes bringing the Gentiles into the people of God. In fact, Christ is the one who is truly working behind the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Verse 18, he says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Not what Paul has accomplished. What Christ has accomplished through Paul. As Paul goes out into the world, yes, it is Paul preaching. It is the, it is the Apostle Paul who is actually going and planting churches and preaching to the Gentiles and all of these nations. But really and truly, it is Jesus Christ who is preaching through the Apostle Paul. He is the one who is ultimately fulfilling this divine plan. Now, that being said, at the same time, we don't want to lose track of the fact that, yes, it is the Apostle Paul who goes out and who preaches to the Gentiles. He is himself still going to the nations, entering these cities, 
actually proclaiming with his physical voice the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one being used by Christ, Christ preaching through him, bringing the gospel to the nations. So when we ask the question, who brings the gospel to the Gentiles? The answer is God, through Christ, by his servants. It's not a mere human thing. It is God accomplishing this through his servants and Jesus Christ. William Carey, the known as the, the father of the modern missions movement, was an Englishman who lived in the late 18th century, known for his missions work in the what is now the country of India in the early 19th century. And Carey, as, as he was working in, in England and was really beginning to be stirred up in his heart and have a heart for the, for the nations, a heart to see heathen peoples come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, he approached a group of English ministers to tell them about his desire to go to foreign lands and preach Christ where Christ had never been named, where Christ had never been heard of before. And as the account goes, when he approached this group of English ministers, one of them said to him, young man, sit down. God will please to save the heathen without your aid or mine. Carrie, of course, understood that that is not the sentiment of the Bible. That the Bible doesn't tell us that the gospel just drops out of the sky after Jesus ascends to heaven. No, Jesus is still at work bringing his gospel to the nations, and he's doing so through his people. People of God... We are called to bear witness to the gospel. We're not supposed to just sit back in our lazy boy chairs and recline and twiddle our thumbs and say, okay, God's going to do it whenever he feels like doing it. We're not meant to just say, well, I really hope that the guy in the pew next to me is a good witness. I I certainly, that's God's going to do it whenever he wants. No, God uses means. He uses real human means to bring the gospel to the nations. He uses human preachers and he uses the witness of the gospel of his people in their day-to-day lives, at work, even at home, in our neighborhoods, in our places of leisure. God has called his people to be a means of bringing the gospel to the nations, just as he did the Apostle Paul. But as we go and as we bear witness to those around us, as God opens doors and opportunities come to us, we go with the knowledge first and foremost that it is God who brings the gospel. It is God who does that work. We are helpless to bring the gospel to other peoples. We cannot open blind eyes. We cannot unstop mute ears. We cannot soften stony hearts. That is the work of God. And he has promised to use us to bring about that great miraculous work. There's a helpful distinction to be made here between faithfulness and fruitfulness. God has called us not to fruitfulness in the lives of others, but to faithfulness in our own lives. He calls us to answer the call of the gospel, to be that means, to be that witness, to be a city on a hill, to really truly bear witness to Jesus Christ, 
That is what we are called to do. That is what we are capable of doing. But God never calls us to fruitfulness in the lives of others. You cannot bear the fruit of repentance in someone else's heart. You do not have control over the hearts of other people. Only God does that. So brothers and sisters, people of God, be faithful and pray. Pray that God will bring conversions. Pray that God will use your witness. Long for the fruit. Desire the fruit. Strive for the fruit. When you don't see the fruit, cry out to God for it. But rest in his sovereign hand. Because it is ultimately God working through his people who brings the gospel. That's our first point. This brings us to our second point then. Not just who brings the gospel to the Gentiles, but also secondly, how the gospel is brought to the Gentiles. Yes, we've identified that it is God through Christ by his people who brings the gospel to the nations. But there is also a particular way that Paul shows us here how the gospel goes out to the nations. And it is, as he presents it here, a twofold method. It is by preaching and planting. Preaching and planting. Now think back again all the way to chapter 1 of the book of Romans. Romans 1, 15. The Apostle Paul tells the Romans about not only his desire to be with them, to see them, to be in person with them, but he also tells them that he desires to preach the gospel to them. To not just be with them, but to preach to them. In verse, in chapter 10, verses 14 through 17, the apostle expounds upon this idea that we need to be sending preachers out into the world so that people can hear the name of Christ. Why? Because Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. In other words, from preaching. And then in chapter 15, we've seen preaching in the beginning. We've seen preaching in the middle, and now at the end, once again, the Apostle Paul summarizes his ministry as one of preaching. Verses 18 and 19, the Apostle Paul summarizes his ministry as one that is done by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. Now, there's a number of things in this list here, but notice what comes first. It's not the signs and the wonders and the spirit of God, not the deeds. It's word. Word comes first. What was Paul's ministry? It was first and foremost a ministry of word. Word here is primary. That is the main thing, the preaching ministry of Paul. Now, primary doesn't mean the exclusive thing. It just means the primary thing. The Apostle Paul also understood that his ministry was one that was accompanied by deeds, good deeds that adorned the gospel he preached. As an apostle, he was gifted by God to perform miraculous signs that testified to the truth of what he did. But in all of it, the focus was on the word ministry. That's what it all was pointing to. You could summarize verses 18 and 19 by saying that the apostle Paul was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, adorning that gospel by good works and testifying to it by miraculous apostolic signs. Verse 20 is telling here the Apostle Paul, in talking about his ministry, he says, Thus I make it my ambition to do what? To preach the gospel. Paul has an ambition. 
He has a God-given desire to carry out his apostolic ministry, the grace that has been given to him. And it's not an ambition to enact social change. It's not an ambition to enact political change. Although sometimes these things do accompany the preaching of the gospel. He's not making it his ambition to entertain the masses or to merely become a popular figure and give them a good moral code. No, his ambition is to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to open his mouth and testify to the gospel and adorn that witness of the gospel with good works. Sometimes you hear people say things, and oftentimes with good intent, things like, well, preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. Now, that statement is trying to get at something. It's trying to get at something that is true, that we do need to be adorning the witness of the gospel with good works. But the statement taken in and of itself is not a biblical statement. Yes, we need to be living lives of good works, but those good works adorn a gospel witness. But if there is no real, normal gospel witness that is coming out of our mouths to be adorned, then there's nothing for the good works to adorn. The witness has to be primary. The word has to be primary, adorned by the good works. Sometimes you hear people say things too, like, well, what we need is faithful presence, We just need people in places of influence or in places of leadership. And all they have to do, they don't have to open their mouths. They just have to be a faithful presence and perform good works. And yes, again, we are to be a people who are a city on a hill to to uh, live lives that show the truths of the gospel. But they still have to come alongside that primary word ministry. It's not enough. To merely live good lives for an effective gospel witness, we have to open our mouths for an effective gospel witness. Preaching isn't Paul's only concern, though. Again, there is a twofold method, as it were, that the Apostle Paul presents to us. First is preaching, but second here is also planting, specifically planting churches. Verse 20, the Apostle Paul characterizes his ministry. He says, Thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Here, characteristically, the Apostle Paul characterizes his ministry as one of building. He's building something. He's putting up a structure. But he's not just putting up any structure. And he's also not one of these sort of DIY guys who just going to do everything himself, doesn't need any help. He can figure it out. He can go to Home Depot on his own and knows what to buy and knows how to do it and put it all together. No, Paul's more like a contractor who's going to come in for a specific period and a specific time with a specific task, accomplish that task, and then move on. His particular task is foundation laying. He comes in at the beginning and he lays the foundation. Notice verse 20. He says he doesn't want to build on someone else's foundation. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Another letter of Paul's. He says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. In other words, the apostles were foundational to the church. They laid the bedrock that everything else builds up and upon. And then, when they were done, God took them away and left it to the successors of the apostles. 
the elders and the officers of the church who would continue passing on the gospel message and the people who would receive that gospel message and bear witness to it in their lives. But Paul's particular task, again here, is to lay the foundation of a building, that building being the church. The Apostle Paul is building up a church. Now, you could say in a general sense that, yes, Paul is the foundation layer for the church broadly, for the church in general. Yes, there is a general universal church, but that general universal church always manifests itself in particular local congregations. And this is what we see the Apostle Paul doing. If you just give a cursory reading of Acts, what you see him doing over and over again as he goes on his missionary journeys, as he goes to a city, he preaches the gospel, he makes converts, but then what does he do? He doesn't leave them by themselves. He doesn't just say, okay, you profess Jesus, now I'm going to leave you, goodbye, I'm off on my, you're off on your own. No, no, he organizes them, and he plants churches The gospel is not meant to just be borne witness to by individuals, but individuals who are gathered together as the church. The Apostle Paul is concerned with planting churches, churches that will be places where the gospel goes forth, where the gospel is preached, and where it bears fruit in the lives of the people of God. Paul's not out to make converts. He's out to build churches. I had a chemistry lab partner in college who professed uh, the name of Christ, and we would have conversations every once in a while about it, but I can remember always feeling a little uneasy about the genuineness of his profession. And so I asked him one day, I said, well, where do you go to church? Where do you go to church around here? And his response to me was that, well, he didn't go to church. And really, he's more of an outdoorsman, and he's always felt most connected to God out in nature. And that's where he really feels close to God. Now, Scripture in many different places does tell us that the heavens declare the glory of God, that his invisible attributes are known by the created order, his wisdom, his power, his goodness. We see all these things in creation, but creation can't give you the gospel. Creation can only give you the law, it can only convict you of your sin, it can only tell you a few general things. You have to come to the church, you have to hear the preaching of the word as it's instituted in the church to come to know the true gospel of God. God never meant for us to be lone wolf Christians, no, he meant for us to grow by means of the preaching of the word in the church. And now if this is true, if this is the means by which God says he is going to advance his gospel in the world, then people of God, this is how we orient our Christian lives around the preaching of the word and the church of Jesus Christ. And when I say this is how we orient our lives, that doesn't mean that we attend to these things to the exclusion of all other things. Saying that the preaching of the word is the primary means by which the gospel goes forth and bears fruit is not to say that it's the only way we receive the word. You ought to, in your day-to-day lives, be reading the word, memorizing the word, meditating on the word, treasuring it in private worship, in family worship. There's lots of ways that God has us uh, take in the word. We live in a time and place where we have the 
privilege of most of us owning a personal copy of God's entire word. In fact, I would imagine that most of us here have multiple copies and multiple translations of the word of God. But the primary means by which the gospel goes forth and bears fruit is through the preaching of the word. That is why the word preached is so important. That is why we spend half a service, morning and evening, on a sermon. Why? Because we want to take hold of the means by which God has promised he will work in the lives of his people. Now again, to say that our lives are oriented around the church is not to say that we orient around the church to the exclusion of all other types of Christian fellowships and things. There are lots of good, faithful parachurch ministries out there that really, truly uh, are used by God to grow his people. There are Christian schools. There are Christian conferences. There are other kinds of campus ministries and all kinds of parachurch ministries that come alongside of and support the church. But the thing around which we are oriented is the church. When I was working in campus ministry, even though I was working full-time for a campus ministry, I, I used to tell students, if it comes down to you've only got time for campus ministry or your local church and college, that's not even a, a question. Go to your church. Because that's how God has promised to work. We orient our lives around the preaching of the word and the church of Jesus Christ. Now, why do we do that? If it is God through Christ by his servants who brings the gospel to the Gentiles, if he does that by preaching in the word, why do we do this? Why does Paul carry out this kind of ministry and pass it on to the church for ages to come? And in all things, of course, we can say that we do all things to the glory of God. Westminster Shorter Catechism, question one, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But we can also ask a more particular question of how do we glorify God? What is it in particular about these things, about this way the gospel goes to the nations, that glorifies God? Why is it that this brings glory to God? The answer, verse 18. Paul says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Why does Paul preach the gospel? Why does he plant churches all over the world? Why does he lay the foundation of churches and plant them, as he says in verse 19, all the way from Jerusalem? To Elyra come on the east coast of the Adriatic Sea, he does it to bring the Gentiles to obedience. To bring people into God's kingdom who will submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Paul's not out just to make converts. Paul's goal isn't just to have people call on the name of the Lord. No, he desires to see them live lives of entire obedience to the whole counsel of God. The Roman church itself itself is, is an example of this. Verse 14, Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. He's satisfied about them. Why? He says you're full of goodness. You're living good, holy lives. There's good works being manifested in your lives. You're reflecting the goodness of our God and his Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Not only that, Paul is satisfied about them because he says you're full of all knowledge and able to instruct one another. The Roman church is a church that is bearing fruit of good works from the gospel in all parts of their lives out of the entire truth of God's word. They don't just settle for little bits of knowledge here and there. No, Paul says you're full of all knowledge. You have all knowledge to the point that Paul can say, I'm satisfied about you. I'm satisfied about you, Roman church. I'm satisfied because you're doing exactly what I've set out to do, which is see people come under the the rulership rule of the entire counsel of God and the entirety of their lives. Not just mere converts, not people leaving a bit of their life off to the side or a bit of scripture off to the side. No, people who come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. He reinforces this point in verse 16 by appealing to sacrificial imagery. Paul understands that the Old Testament in all of its sacrificial system was pointing to the way the gospel would go forth. In verse 16, Paul mentions that he desires the Gentiles who are themselves pictured as an offering to be acceptable to be sanctified. Those words acceptable and sanctified in the Greek translation of the Old Testament are used to describe the animal sacrifices that would be brought to the temple of God. In other words, Paul understands that that was always a picture of what he was going to do, that Paul is like, and Paul and his successors, the elders of the churches, are like priests who are ministering in the New Testament temple of the church. And like the priests of the Old Testament, they are making sure that these animal sacrifices brought in are acceptable sacrifices, that they're spotless, that they're blameless, that they don't have any blemishes, that they're good animals that are right to be sacrificed. And Paul says, that is what I'm doing with the Gentiles, is to make them holy, blameless, sanctified, acceptable before God, living lives of obedience, bearing good works because that's what brings glory to God. That's why the gospel goes to the nations. Is that reflective of your life? Are you living a life of whole obedience to God? Or are there corners of your life where you've said, no, I I can't have God touch that. I can't have Jesus touch that. I have to keep this to myself. God has called us to live full obedience lives that are full of goodness, that leave no corner untouched. Are you taking hold of the entire word of God, dedicating yourself to the whole counsel of God? Sometimes you hear people say they, they're uh, red-lettered Christians. In other words, those editions of the Bible where it prints the explicitly recorded words of Jesus in red lettering, That's not a biblical attitude. That's not the attitude of the Apostle Paul. Yes, we dedicate ourselves to the gospel, and there is something special and important and primary about the gospel witness, but Jesus continued witnessing through his apostles and the rest of the New Testament. The whole counsel of God, useful for every good work, that the man of God may be approved, as Paul says in his letter to Timothy Are there portions of the Bible that you've sectioned off, that you've said, I don't need to touch that? 
I'm going to leave that to the side. People of God, the only way to live a life of full obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ is by sitting under the full word of God. That is what brought glory to God through the Gentiles and the Roman church 2,000 years ago, and that is what brings God glory today. Do you want that? Do you want to see the word of God going to the nations, bearing fruit in your life and the lives of people around you? God has given us the roadmap. Take it up and follow the directions. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are grateful that you do not leave us to ourselves, to our own devices, but that you show us the way, that you show us how your gospel is to go forth. And so, Lord, we pray that you would even now bear fruit in our lives through the seed of your word. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.